0: Thank you, Brandon. Uh, we knew this was going to be an unusual Sunday in a number of different ways because uh, we have a good group of men up uh, up in Thousand Pines, which is in Crestline. And then uh, they particularly for those in the first service, there's, some, there's a big wedding up in the Big Bear area, and so the, that crowd would be gone as well. But we're looking forward to what uh, we have this morning. Just in case you haven't been in a life group, just to remind you, Will we have something additional in your bulletin this morning? Not only the sermon notes, but also behind that is the Bible study. And in that, uh, what we want to encourage you to do is uh, spend some time this week looking up those passages and answering those questions. Uh, whenever you come to a place like this at any time in your journey with God, you'll notice that people will tell you how to get into the Bible and you how to get into prayer. You ever heard that before? Yeah. All right. And the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you get in the Bible? There's two ways to get in the Bible. One is simply read it. There's so many things right there on the surface that God has for you. And so spend time just consistently reading in God's book. And really the word Bible means book, uh, God's book. And then secondly is to study it. Read it and study it. Now, how do you study it? Well, again, you need to think very simply. How you study God's word is to ask questions of the text. And there's only so many questions you can ask. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. And, and try to understand all those things that are going on there. Now one of the things that we have done with the studies that we're going through is we've asked some of those questions for you. And often we'll throw in some additional passages uh, throughout the study. We'll be studying the, the, the theme or the ideas that we'll be preaching on, but then we'll be taking it in different directions at times uh, throughout the week in your study. So uh, spend time this week. Set aside uh, opportunities to look at God's Word, ask some questions of it, and try to understand what it what it meant to them, and then also what it means to us. As Brandon was sharing, we have a group of men up at the men's retreat. A uh, couple of us came down uh, late last night, and, and one of the things, it's interesting, if, if you ever go on a retreat, and I've heard this secondhand from the ladies a little bit, but I know it firsthand from the men, is that... Um, sometimes the men become boys once they get up to camp. There's some amazing things that they, they do. Maybe they I don't know if you say shouldn't do but they, uh, they just start acting like little kids. Uh, uh, maybe some of them make it a big point to eat healthy all year round and then they get up there and you're thinking, man, they're eating everything in sight. It's just amazing. Um, also the things they'll be involved doing. They'll just be involved in certain things that maybe they only do once a year and you see Steve and I kind of limping around this morning. You know, we played four games of football yesterday, and we are hurting like certain, all right, today. Um, but it's, it's amazing as things they'll say, things they'll be involved in, and talk about eating. I was, I was reading this little story about uh, this little boy, and he was, uh, he was just uh, sitting on the grass, sitting on the grass, and his mom came out, and, and he noticed that little Johnny was eating a worm. <laughs> and she was shocked and said, Stop, Johnny, what are you doing? You don't eat worms. And Johnny comes back like any little boy would come back. Well, why not? And she said, well, it's not good for you. And, and just think about it for, for a moment. Uh, that little mommy worm is looking for her little baby. And to which little Johnny said, no, she isn't. And she said, well, how do you know? Because I ate her first. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we got, we got people eating all kinds of things up there, and they're coming down uh, later on this afternoon. But this morning, we want to take a bite out of a passage of Scripture. Actually, we're going to take one of the, the New Testament books. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Thessalonians. So it's in that latter third of the, new, uh, um, of the book. You have two-thirds Old Testament, one-third New Testament. And then we're starting to get a little bit further in this book. So find 2 Thessalonians. And just by way of trivia, though I never like to really use the word trivia as it relates to the Bible, this is the smallest or shortest book that Paul writes and in it he uh, he packs a lot in it and he's responding to a church that he has just written to actually some people say maybe only a few weeks or a few months after he wrote the first letter uh, you know first Thessalonians is written first and second Thessalonians is written second I'm glad you're still with me this morning all right and, and so he writes this letter in response to they didn't quite get it the first time Have you ever had someone try to teach you something Maybe it's a sport. Uh, I know Matt's uh, a super tennis player, and I'm sure he's given all kinds of instructions, and sometimes they don't quite get it the first time, do they? And so there's a, there's a place where you have to keep going over the same thing over and over and over again until they, they really get a handle at what you're trying to say. And, and whether that's in a sport or whether it's a particular subject you're taking at school, sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. And he po- writes back to this church because they didn't quite understand Now, as it relates to this type of learning, this this type of learning impacts life. Uh, Probably the fundamental question any student has ever had going through formal schooling is, am I ever going to use this, you know, when I get out of school? There's there's certain math classes you want to, am I ever going to have to use trig or algebra or whatever it might be, depending upon what you get into? Well, we know in the Bible that what you learn here should impact your daily experience. And so this morning I've entitled it, Living Well by Knowing What's Next. And the Bible does talk about Jesus coming the first time, and see how sharp you are this morning, it also talks about him coming the second second time. And and what you understand about Jesus coming again, and being convinced that he's coming again, and and a little bit about how that's going to happen will impact how you live. Uh, You'll live live well just knowing that that's a settled truth, and uh, some of the details related to it. There is some debate among Bible students, pastors, theologians, uh, everyone as far as some of the details, but some of the things are right there on the surface that that we need to make sure that we understand, and that's why Paul wrote back. And there will be people who will try to confuse us as far as what that might be, And, and that was true back then, and it's true today as well. But let's uh, let's get into it this morning. As we think about some things, he wanted to remind them of, And um, we'll jump into it. There's only three chapters, so we'll take a, a, a truth out of each chapter this morning as we think about living well by knowing what's next. First quick reminder. You might have it bad now, but for some people, it's going to get worse. And, and the reason is because judgment is coming. And really what he reminded, wanted to remind them then and he could say that today to us as well, it is when things are going badly, we wonder, where is God? And if we're, not, if we're convinced that we know that God's around, we're thinking, well, what's he doing? I mean, and just how am I in part of that, that plan that he's laid out? And interestingly enough, Paul, as he wrote to the church of Thessalonica earlier, had laid it out for them, but again, they hadn't quite gotten it yet particularly as it relates to how it ought to impact how they live now. They were, they were confused, and when you're confused, you're just, you're just bothered on the inside. And so he wanted to convince them, I know, it's, I know it's going badly for you. And really what they were experiencing, they were experiencing persecution for their faith. Now, in many ways, we have to be honest with ourselves, living in America, we don't get a lot of persecution. We, we get maybe some strange looks at us when people think that we believe in Jesus. If you're in a science class and we, we, don't, we believe that it didn't happen as almost all of the people who write the textbooks in our public schools tell us it happened in terms of it just happened by chance, that non-life produce, produces life, which is totally senseless, that they feel it all happened by chance, even though they see design everywhere. And when we don't buy into that, they say, well, you got something against science? No, I don't have anything against science, but is that science? That's a philosophy. That's a faith, okay? And so we'll get some of that, but we're not wondering, are we going to get killed as we leave this place because of our faith this morning? Well, we, uh, some can lose jobs. There are people who lose positions of responsibility, particularly in the academic world, because of their faith, Uh, but they were getting it all from every place. And they were wondering, where is God in this thing? I thought when I came to faith that life would be better rather than worse. But he tells them, hey, I don't care how bad it is for you now. It's going to get really worse for people who reject the message of Jesus. And so we'll pick that up in First Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. And we'll focus on a couple passages. But I, it's, it's a very simple first point I want to make to us all. We're going to live much better if we're convinced that our future is filled with hope and not despair. And we'll also be people who aren't, even though we all struggle with this, falling into the temptation of whining about how bad it is when we realize, man, it is going to be so, so, so much worse for people who haven't been rescued by the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pick it up. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses, verses 3 through probably about verse 10. Uh, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because you, your faith grows exceedingly. So he's, he's, he's committing them because their trust in God is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Not because it's easy, but, but that they're, they're learning to trust him. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Their relationship within the family of God is filled with care. Verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, Paul, as he talked to other people uh, in the religious circus, circus, not circus, circus, he, 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 he bragged about this church. And I'll sometimes say this to people. You know, gossip is okay, as long as it's good gossip. If you hear something good about somebody, you can tell anybody and everybody all the time. But if it's bad gossip, then you just need to leave it alone. So he's bragging about them. He's gossiping about just how good their faith is, even in the midst of, of persecution and tribulations, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. And now he begins to get down to his point. He said your faith is growing, your love is growing, uh, you are an example to others and we talked about that last Lord's Day and I was so tempted to re-preach that message this week but I won't go in a long review. But he is excited about their faith and their love he said, you are, you are just a badge of the authenticity of what God does in people's life because who would endure this because of their faith unless it's true? They were worthy of the kingdom. They, they, they represented God's rule well because even when it was difficult, they remained faithful. Okay, and now he turns to okay, it, it's been going badly for you in, in terms of your everyday life, but look at those who are rejecting the message. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now he begins to give a sobering message. He says, I want you to understand that when God brings judgment, it's going to be a righteous judgment. You know, there's certain phrases that we've heard people say, even though we might not know where it was recorded in the scripture, but remember that phrase, you know, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You ever heard that? Uh, That's what he's talking about here. Uh, That there there is no wrong that will never be accounted for, weighed heavily, and consequences meted out. And so he's beginning to say, I know it's going badly for you, but it's going to get worse because the heavy hand of God is going to come upon those who reject the offer of of forgiveness, the offer of, of transformation through his son. Verse, verse 8, and he, and he speaks of it in powerful terms in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This judgment is going to be a judgment by fire. Now, there's so many passages we can look for that that just fill this out. But Remember in, in Matthew where we have the story of John the Baptist? And what was the John the Baptist doing? He was Baptist. baptizing. Very good. I'm... Right. That's, that's, that was his, uh, his, his uh, nickname, the baptizer, and that's what he did for a living. But he, he talked to people about the kind of baptism he did and the one who was to come, what kind of baptism he was going to do. He said, I baptize you with, with water. There's coming one who's going to baptize by the Holy Spirit with fire. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says that God is a consuming And there's coming a time where people will stand face to face before a holy God and they will see how guilty they are. And the consequences of that will last forever. He he goes on in this text. He says, these shall be punished with an everlasting destruction. And the word destruction does not mean that the people are annihilated. It's probably not the the best translation of that Greek word. They're going to be everlasting ruined. Their their experience will just be a one of torment forever. And, And that can be best defined by that next statement. With everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, Jesus said, you, know, you know, God is so gracious that he, he allows it to, the sun to, to, to shine on both the righteous and the unrighteous now. He, he allows the rain to, to, to shower the ground on both the righteous and the unrighteous now. But all God would have to do in terms of people experiencing the consequences for their rejection of Jesus is just remove his hand of blessing." He wouldn't even have to be intentional in terms of of bringing destruction upon them. All we'd have to do is remove his, His blessing. They would be away from the presence of God forever. Any and every good thing that we experience on this life, on this planet, comes from Him. And all that would have to be is taken from those who reject the gospel of Christ. And their experience forever would be everlasting ruin. Now, in light of that, as as we go through life, obviously it should break our heart and and desire for us to be passionate about reaching our oikos and our world for Jesus. But but on our end, when things get so difficult, we need to recognize that if there's anything in life that we ought to be so grateful for, it's, it's our relationship with Jesus. Remember the story of Jesus when the disciples came? He, he sent them out, 70, the 70 out, and they were doing all kinds of miraculous things, and they were just, like, pumped. And I mean, they were like, I mean, we did win the championship of the, great, the football game. I just, did I tell you that? No. You know, you're all pumped when you win. I mean, things are going great. I'm hurting so bad. Just, I couldn't even sleep last night. But anyway, you know, you, 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 uh, you come back, and you're so excited because something went well. And, and you know what Jesus said? Hey, don't be excited that you could do those little things. They were big, you know, not like a little football game. They were big. There's one thing you ought to be grateful for, that you belong to God. See, if we lose everything, like Joe, we've still kept the most important thing, our relationship with God. And so, so he speaks into the life of those who are really suffering. He the reason you can still have joy is because your future is settled. You are not facing judgment. You've been rescued. So no matter how bad it gets, just remember it's going to get worse for others. And you've ex- escaped the judgment that's coming from God. I think it's John 5 24, it just popped my mind that that truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has has passed into eternal life and has passed away from judgment. So live well by knowing what's next. And what's next is you will not face the judgment of God if your life is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we think about the ultimate future, there are some things that are going to come before that time where the Bible describes the great white throne judgment in Revelation. And so they were wondering, well, yeah, but how do I make sense of all the things you told me before? And so that's the second thing I want to get to is, is this. You might not know everything about the future, but what you can know really makes a difference. You might not know everything's gonna uh, about the future, but what you can know really makes a difference. And the response to that, I guess, life relates. You, you really don't have to worry. Now we all worry. Let's just be honest. I mean, we're not that spiritual, but but we don't have to. But we do. But if the big things are settled, why are we sweating the little things? Someone has said the 11th commandment is "Thou shalt not sweat it." You know. Yeah. You know, is that? You know, if everything else is nailed by God, let's let's not get overwhelmed by all the things, the little things that upset us. And, and so, so as we go into this, there's some things we can know that God has planned for his people. And there are some debates about the details, but just looking at what he says in the text, it seems to flow pretty clearly, at least to me, as I read it, that this is this is the things that we can we can know about the future. First. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, first of all, beginning with verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now now he's writing back about something that that he had told them before. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he talked about the rapture of the church. And the rapture is simply the Latin word for catching up of the church, the gathering up of the people of God to meet him in the air. He said, now, concerning that experience, this is what I want you to know and also respond to. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind and or troubled. Now, I don't know about you, you can find that a lot of different ways. Don't be filled with worry. Don't be confused. Don't be like rattled by all the things you see around you and wondering, wow, it's all a mess and chaos out there. No, God's got it under control. And he's got a, he's got a timeline for this. And he says, even, even if you are being confused by others, he says, next phrase, either by spirit, and other was something internally that, that has convinced you, well, I think it's going to work out this way, or by word or by letter. And the idea here is, is most of look at this text They say, well, as Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, and he wrote 1 Thessalonians before he wrote 2 Thessalonians. So, still there with me? Okay. Is that between the first and the second writing of those two letters, there's someone who wrote one in between. But it wasn't Paul. It was somebody else. and what, what they wrote back to this church just confused them. And what they wrote them is somehow they had missed it. They, they had missed the rapture, the catching up of God's people uh, to meet him in the air. He said, I, I don't I don't want you to be confused about that. You know, it hasn't happened. You, you had heard before, it could happen at any moment. And, and, and that's my conviction, is that as you think about the next event, which I see in scripture is the rapture of the church in terms of God's prophetic outline, is that... There's no signs for that. It could happen any moment, and if, if somehow you think uh, it, it could happen any moment, and someone has told you we're now a little bit further down the prophetic timeline, you think you will have what? Missed it? What happened? Was I not good enough to get caught up there? Did somehow it was a secret catching up of all these believers? And so he said, look it, I don't care whether you hear if you feel it in, internally, I don't care whether you hear it in some message or whether someone wrote it down and said, look it, that you've missed it, you haven't missed it. He said, either by spirit or by word or by letter, is it from us as though the day of Christ had come. And, and he's speaking about two things here, and we're going to look at it in a moment. There is the, the rapture of the church, and then there's the day of Christ where it really probably better translate the the day of the Lord, which is the judgment that is to come. And he said, two things, you haven't missed the rapture, and then secondly, you haven't missed the day of the Lord. And, and that's the point I wanted to begin with. There there are two phases of Jesus coming again. There's going to be the rapture of the church, and there's another time where he's going to bring judgment into this land. Now, uh, have you ever... Have you ever like woken up in the morning and, and forgot what day it was? Yeah. And, and then and then you look at the time and you go, Oh man, I've missed a really important meeting or really whatever it might be. And you just start fr- And then all of a sudden you're like, no, this is you know, I've son- I've sometimes had that on Saturday. I wake up and I go, oh I, I was supposed to be at church preaching. And I and it's, it's, you know, it, you know, you sometimes you can feel like you missed it and you're like, Oh no, that's not even Sunday. What am I thinking? Well that's what they were going through. They they were they were thinking they had missed it. And then they recognized that you know, they weren't dreaming. They were awake. And, and Well, yeah, because someone told me that it had already happened. He said, I don't want you to be shaken or troubled. That those who know me, you can look forward to Him coming for you. But on the other end, they were, they were wondering, well, yeah, but all the suffering we're going through, we've, we've got to be in the day of the Lord. He said, No. You haven't missed the rapture and you haven't missed what other places talk about the great tribulation, no, no matter bad, how bad it is now. And, and let's be honest, there have been times throughout the history since Jesus left this place where horrific things have happened to God's people. But as, as, as in Matthew 24 says, when that time comes, it's going to be like no other time. And if you read Revelation, uh, that is like no other time. And he said, I, I want you to understand, in fact, I'll give you some simple ways to remember whether you're in the day of the Lord. Though as I see putting the puzzle prophetically together, this is to say, you're not, you're not going to be there, but if you were, this is what the things you would see. Now it's a warning to those who, who are not of faith that when these things happen, you better, be, you better get your heart right because there aren't going to be any other second chances when Jesus comes. But here's what he outlines as far as what will the day of the Lord be. And this is what Matthew 24, 21 says that will be the great tribulation. For there will be great tribulation such as never had been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. You're not in the day of the Lord. Why? Because though you are in the last days, between when Jesus came the first time, and he comes the second time. These are the last days because the days before were the days before the last days. But the last day of the last day, this is not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. okay, as you see the end, the last day, this will be this will be the obvious things that will declare to you this is not just opinion. this is not someone on the street corner with a sign. Armageddon is going to happen in the next hour. Uh, these are the, the scripture telling us this will be true in that last day. First of all, it will be marked by the apostasy. He says in verse 2, um, don't, don't be shaken or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter as, it, as if from us. In other words, you didn't get that letter from us. I don't care what, what name was put at the beginning or the end of that letter, but I didn't write it. I'm writing the second letter now. As though the day of the Lord had come, verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the word falling away has the more technical word apostasy. And people fall away from the faith now. I mean, I think every one of us probably uh, know of people who used to be people who professed faith who came to church, loved the Lord, did all kinds of things in terms of faithfulness to Him and now you go, where are they? And I'm not just talking about are they going to the same church I'm going to, but where are they spiritually? And they are as far away from God as you can imagine. But he's not talking about individuals or even small groups of people leaving the faith. He's talking about the faith in the world just being gone. That that when that One we're going to look at in a moment comes. He's going to he's going to basically eliminate Christianity in this world in terms of any kind of formal worship of him. In fact, he's going to take on that place where they begin to worship him. Now we can see some of that seeds being sown today, but it's not in the full leaving of the faith. You know, I've told you before that there's atheism and there's new atheism atheism was initially, I I just don't believe in God, I don't care whether you do. But now, the new atheism, I don't believe in God, and I do care that you believe in God, because I think believing in God is evil in our culture. That worse things happen by religious people than any other kind of people in this world. And you can see where they get some of that, in terms of some of the terrorism, comes from uh, fanaticism in some walks of faith. Uh, but So so if that movement gets stronger, people who are on the fence... You know, we talk about political, but people who win elections are not people who are Republicans or or Democrats, but people who are what? On the fence, fence independents. And, and if what you do is you get some people saying, well, wait a minute, I, I'm open to believe in God, or I'm open to vote for this person or that person, but you come to the point, well, man, I'm not going to ever vote for God because that's not good for you. That's what? Bad for you. Well, there's going to come a time, well... Where in the whole world, that's will happen other than maybe worshiping this one great leader. And of course, we can see that happen at times. People get so enamored with personalities, whether it's you know, the whole celebrity perspective. But, but if a political leader, in fact, the Bible says in Revelation beginning in, verse, in chapter 6, the first couple passages, that a leader will come and you know, there will be peace and safety everywhere. And people are just going to say, well, here's the solution to all of our problems. It's it's this this great leader who will go from being a great leader to be a person who wants to be worshipped. And when that kind of world we live in happens, then it's the day of the Lord. But even going beyond that, how do we measure that? It's going to be found in a person. He goes on in in verse 3, he says, Unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, this is the one that, even, even if you're not that familiar with the New Testament or the Old Testament, you've heard of a person called an Antichrist. Well, this is going to be a, a time that will be marked by the man of sin, the Antichrist. The Antichrist actually is only given, or this man of sin, this one will be that world leader that will draw people's hearts away from God. And that's when the whole Middle East issue will be just magnified on steroids as far as what's going on out there. It is this man, um, it is only referred to as the Antichrist in in the letters of 1 John. But it's a good description. In fact, John writes it in a couple different ways. Is that anyone who is, and the word anti can be translated one of two ways. It can be against Christ or instead of Christ. And when that happens today, there are a lot of people who who believe in God, but they want you to believe in a God not of this book, not about the one who was God and became a man, not the one who was a sinless person here on earth, and then he went to the cross to die for those who were filled with sin, and then rose from the dead. They said, well, believe in a different God, another God. And so this man will come, and he will be a man who is not filled with righteousness, but he will be a man filled with sin. And this picture of this man has been throughout Scripture. It's interesting, the variety of... uh, names he has he's called the prince of rosh in ezekiel 38 verse 2 he's the little horn of daniel in in daniel chapter 7 he's the prince who is to come in daniel 9 he's the king who does whatever he pleases in daniel chapter 11 he's the foolish worthless shepherd found in zechariah chapter 11 he's the beast in revelation um, 11 he's the man of lawlessness the the son of destruction the lawless one the one who's coming in, in accord with the activity of satan And when that individual is here, then you know you're in the day of the Lord. And that's coming a time, as Jesus said in recorded words for us in Matthew 24, that time will be like no other time that has been nor will be. And so as we think about the future, and being convinced of the things that we can know about, in comparison to things maybe we don't understand everything about. But what we do know can really make a difference. It is that we don't have to worry about our future. Now, I and others could be wrong in terms of the timing of this, but I, I think the Bible is clear that we're going to be rescued from this. Just like Noah in the flood. Just like Lot. But even if it... Isn't that which I, I'm convinced it is? Is that God is going to be faithful to His people, and, and when it happens, we will not be surprised. And you know, we get surprised by all kinds of things in this life, don't we? Right? Before I went to the men's retreat, I was hearing this rushing sounds, you know, in our, inside the house. I'm thinking, what in the world is this? And then I said, Well, I better check this out. So I crawl underneath our house, and there's rushing water coming out of my pipes. <laughs> Now, that was a surprise to me. But we should not be surprised by things that, you know, there's that phrase things happen, right? But for the believer, they don't just happen. They happen by God's design, and, and we should not be caught unawares. When the day of the Lord comes, there will be a massive falling away, not just pieces and people's kind of drifting. There will be a world exodus from anything close to spiritual. The lawless one, the the man of sin, the Antichrist, will come on the scene. He will look like a man on a white horse to beginning with, and then then all hell will break loose. And the day of the Lord will be marked like no other day. But then he goes on, well, how's this going to happen? I mean, what... Where will God be in this? Well, God will initially be behind the scenes, and then He will be on the scene, so visible to everybody. Look at Mark, Second Thessalonians, Chapter Two, Thess- 2, Thess- 2, Thess- 2, Thess- 2 uh, beginning of verse five. Do you not remember when I was still with you? I told you these things. So again, he he's he's telling them some things they should they could have gotten the first time, but now they're trying to get it the second time or third time, or whatever, How many times that they need to hear it? And now you know that what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. And really the idea there is is a very simple one. Uh, Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Uh, To put in a phrase, this day will be marked by the absence of the restrainer. Now, here are some things we don't know for sure other than we know the result of the restrainer being absent you know who is the restrainer there's all kinds of things thrown out that some believe it'll be the church and that will be raptured up so the church won't be here and we're called to be uh, salt and light and part of that salt part is to restrain evil Uh, some say it will be righteous government Uh, some uh, say it will be a sense of a loss of absolute morality or truth if ever if everything becomes relative then again things will just go from bad to worse some uh, believe it's it's the holy spirit that will be taken away now that creates problems if you take the holy spirit away because god is everywhere right well how can you take god away if he's everywhere I really believe it's, it's the restrainer is the presence of God, or at least the hand of God, that's going to be removed in terms of what he is doing. I mean, it could be some of the specific things. It could be the church. It could be Christians. It could be you know, the righteous government. But it's probably the hand of God. Probably, if you're going to put it in the, the Trinitarian God, it's probably the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's just the Holy Spirit saying, okay, I will, I will quit holding back the evil and I will allow it to go its natural course. You've heard it said that all, all it takes for evil men to do well is for good men to do what? Nothing. Just nothing. All, all you have to do is do nothing, and then everybody else will do whatever they want. And as you think about the Holy Spirit, all, all the Holy Spirit has to do is just do nothing in restraining evil, and evil will be rampant. So this day will be marked very powerfully by a falling away by the presence of the evil one, the Antichrist, the man of sin, and the the restraining from evil being removed. I mean, you know, just taking that on a natural level, aren't you glad police are around certain times? (laughs) I mean, you want them there because you feel so much more safe because they're there. Just their presence will will get some people to act differently. And the presence of God causes people to act differently as well. There's a little hope there. It's marked by the lawless one being defeated. Look at verse 8. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming... As we think of this evil one being here, as you look at the end of the story, his, he will be defeated. As someone as well said, it, the good news about the scripture is in the end, we win. And it's not we winning, it's God winning, and we're part of his team. But it will be a time where people will be believing lies because the lies... Will be so rampant. It will be said so loudly and so consistently. It'll be the only voice they hear, and there'll be a few things that will be deceiving to back it up. It's it's marked by signs and lying wonders and delusions. Look at look at verses nine through twelve. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. There comes a time when we say no to something so often. There's almost... In fact, here, there is no coming back from believing the lie. And so this will be marked by a time in which life is so different. This is the day of the Lord. This is the great tribulation. This is the time where God's heavy hand is upon this planet saying, all right, I gave you all this to respond to. Now you're going to reap the consequences for your actions. Now, now the good news about this announcing back to them is that we haven't missed it, God's deliverance of his people. And and even if you see the time of the rapture different, we're we're not going to be surprised by this. This is not a leak underneath the house. This is is something that that we should be aware of and prepared for. And, And that we will not believe the lie, either because we're not here or because we know it's a lie. And because of that, we really don't have to worry about our future. Because the most important things are settled. So how do people respond when they realize that that Jesus is coming again? And he kind of finishes this chapter in a very practical area. For some, when they think, well, if, if if my future is settled, then I don't have to do anything now. I can just kind of do my thing and and maybe let everybody else do it and I can just take advantage of what they're doing. And so I put it this way in terms of the last chapter in response to how some of them are, were living. He says, You might be tempted to be lazy and put up with people who are lazy but don't. <laughs> Work is part of God's plan. And we've had that even recently, people who believe that Jesus is coming in the next half hour or the next day, or they give a specific date on the calendar. I mean they sell all their property, give it away, you know, some probably may even put on White choir robes and get up on top of a roof and try to get there quicker when Jesus comes. Is that, you know, God never never tells us to stop. You know, we're 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 we're, keep, we're supposed to keep living, be about His business and be about our business, still living a life that He, he has called us to live. And and, and picking it up, Second Thessalonians chapter three, we'll go a little bit further back, verse six, and then we'll hit the passage. He said, but. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he re- received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. nor did we here, And what did he mean by disorderly? We weren't lazy among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul said, you know, I can work, so I shall work, and I work not to to be a burden to you. And then he uses this very powerful statement, for even when we were with you, we command you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he, what? Eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you, that's among God's people, and in that church there, in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are simply busybodies. You know, they're they're just doing their thing and thinking they're more spiritual because they're, they're just looking up to see if Jesus comes when they're looking up. Not those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now, the general principle simply is this, is that we should never be lazy and really put up with other people being lazy. We're not to be enabling those to do nothing who can do something. You know, there are some people who can't work, but if they can't work, then that's understandable. If they can work, they ought to work. Work is part of God's plan. It's been made a lot harder because of the curse, but it was always part of I mean, Adam had responsibilities in the garden. So what's the point? <laughs> what's the point this morning? Is is that we ought to live well because we know what's coming next. We are not facing God's judgment because we've been rescued from that. The consuming fire that people ought to realistically and honestly be fearful of, we have been delivered from. In terms of God's program. Jesus is coming for his people. There's going to be a gathering up. No matter where you understand on the prophetic line. But particularly, I believe, in terms of context, they they were afraid they had missed it. And he said, no, you haven't missed it because the day of the Lord hasn't even come yet. And when the day of the Lord comes, you will not miss it or whoever's here will not miss it because it will be marked by these things. And, And while we're still here, we ought to be working. Now, obviously, we're now in a recession Experience within our nation, around the world, and, and people are underemployed or not employed. But and, and, the, and the simple point there is that those who can work ought to pursue work. But those who aren't pursuing work, they're missing the point. And, and we should we should we should see that work as an ethic that God blesses, and, and and really everything that we do for Him honors Him. It, it, my work does not necessarily honor God any more than what you do for a living. Now how I do it and how you do it gives glory to God or not, does not give glory to God. But work is honorable for God. And whether it's volunteer work or whether it's, it's vocational work, God wants us to be involved in what He's doing and be a part of life around us. He wants us to live well in light of what we can know what's going to come next. So the simple question is, is your future now, is your future changing how you live now? As you look to the future, is it changing how you live now? Let's pray. Father, this is a lot to digest, and, and, but as we think about what happens next, we who are part of your family can, can be secure and confident that our life is in your hands. And then the rest of this, this book speaks and we 'll be studying it this week in our life groups, about, then well then, how do, how do we live well? What does it mean to live well? Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is really on the outside looking in? Might you recognize this is the only hope for life now and for forever, to embrace the one who came to die for our sins and then raise again for our life as we give in a moment to your kingdom work here and around the world, as we continue to worship you and pray that we might live well and that we might reach out to our relational world. Father, help us to be a people that trust in you for our future so that we might live powerfully in the present. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.